We've been in a conversation the last a couple of weeks, I guess uh, last week was Reformation Sunday, but uh, virtually for two weeks now and, and now today, we've been in a conversation about stewardship. And if you grew up in church, if you spend a lot of time in church, you know that oftentimes stewardship is seen as a as preacher code for give money to the church. So let me kind of relieve you of of you know kind of trying to figure out where I'm headed with this and and how does this tie in with um with giving money to the church? Does the pastor want you to give money to the church? Yes, of course I want you to give money to the church. Uh, that's that's what makes the church run. When when you give money to the church, you provide a place where people can hear that there is a God who, despite the circumstance of their life, despite whatever is going on, whatever people have told them, that God doesn't hate them. God actually loves them. You you provide a place where people can get together in an authentic community and try out and be encouraged in the things that God is teaching them. And also, you you create a place where we work together to chase after the things that are closest to God's hearts. Uh, God God's heart. Uh, God tells us over and over again through the scriptures that the widows and the orphans, the most vulnerable members of society, have a special place next to His heart, and we can we can collectively work toward helping the people who are most vulnerable in a church. So those are the reasons that we give to the church. But I don't want to spend a lot of time there because that is not, despite what preachers may have told you, that is not the essence of stewardship. Stewardship is not about giving to the church. Stewardship is a posture for living. And it is all through the scriptures. It is the way that God has created us to be uh, tillers of the soil um, that, that God has planted. We saw that last week from, from the very beginning of the Bible all the way through the end. We see this idea that everything we have is a, is a, a trust that God has given us. The, the money we have, the possessions we have, the time we have, the number of days in our life is a trust that we have from God. The ideas we have, the relationships we have, the influence we have, everything we have is a trust that we are to use for God. Now, last week what we saw is that we can resist that. Um, if you're like me, if you're like most people, I think um, we resist that first because we like to think of the success in our life as coming from inside us because we're such great people. And our failures come from outside. But if we're honest, we know, you know, when, when I fail, sometimes there's something inside me that has something to do with that. And the same is true in reverse. If I succeed, it's not just all my doing. Usually there's other reasons why that, that were at least contributing factors to how come I was able to succeed. So we resist for prideful reasons, but I think we also resist because we don't like the thought of being responsible. We don't want one more area of responsibility we have to deal with. And the scriptures tell us we do. The scriptures tell us we are responsible. Not only that, the scriptures tell us there's going to be an audit someday. So we resist the idea of stewardship, and yet it's all through the scriptures, from the very beginning all the way through to the end. There's no way of getting around it. So how can we do this? Well, the answer, fortunately, is that Jesus taught a lot about stewardship. Jesus taught all kinds of parables. We just heard one a moment ago about stewardship because sometimes it's straightforward and it just makes sense. Okay, that, that, I understand how that would work, but sometimes it's, it's a little counterintuitive. Last week, for example, or last time, we learned that you can actually learn how to be a good, honest steward by looking at dishonest stewards, that there's something we can learn from dishonest managers that a dishonest manager has one thing that they do well, and that is they seize opportunities to leverage what's been given to them so that they can make friends. And Jesus said he wished that honest, 
disciples would do the same thing, that they would seize those opportunities. And today we hear another parable. And again, it's one that maybe isn't uh, as intuitive as we would expect. It's called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And um, in it, um, we see that we see that uh, Jesus Jesus is telling us how we can be honest towards. He's kind of uh, he's told us about how to how to be a how to learn from the dishonest managers. But now he's telling us how can you be an honest manager. So if you just think about it, how can you be an honest manager? Let's suppose somebody put you in charge of of somebody's 401k, and they said you're in charge of that 401k. I want you to be an honest manager. How would you do it? Well, partly it has to do with that person's values. If if the 401k you are managing was for Billy Graham, you'd probably manage it differently than if it was for Vladimir Putin. Okay, I mean they have different values, and so to be an honest manager, you're going to have to manage that 401k in accordance with that person's values. If you were put in charge of the Nelson Mandela Trust, then you'd want to manage that foundation's assets in a way that was in keeping with his values. You wouldn't want to invest it in some kind of a shady. A pyramid scheme or something like that. You wouldn't want to get involved in sweatshop labor because it would be out of keeping with the values of the person whose assets you're, you're managing. So the first thing, maybe the most important thing we can know about how to be a good manager, how to be a good steward, is to say, can we manage the values in alignment with God's values? Can we manage the assets, the things we're managing, in alignment with God's values? And the answer is supposed to be yes. So Jesus tells us in this parable what is a, a paramount, a signature characteristic of God, a signature value of God, and that is generosity. So he tells us this parable. He talks about a, 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 a owner of a vineyard. He says the kingdom of heaven is like this. An owner of a vineyard went out to the marketplace and he found some people waiting for day labor. It's early in the morning, so it's about six o'clock. The day, the work day went from six in the morning till six p.m typically sunrise to sunset, that kind of idea. So he goes out early in the morning, he hires some people, sends them to the, to, the gar, to, the, to the vineyard, and he says, I'll pay you the usual daily wage. The usual daily wage is a, a denarius. Some, some translations don't even bother to translate it. They just say a denarius. Um, it doesn't really matter how much that is today in, in purchasing power or anything, but the idea is that that's a fair wage. We know from other literature from that period, not everybody got it because not everybody's treated fairly. But an honest day's pay for an honest day's work is one denarius. And that was kind of the agreed-upon amount of money. And he says, I will pay you an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. And so off they go. But then he goes back again at 9 o'clock, at noon, at 3 o'clock, and he hires more people. He says, I'll pay you what's right. And then they go out to the vineyard, and finally he comes out at 5 o'clock, and he still sees people waiting there, looking for work. And he says, why hasn't, you know, why haven't you, uh, found work? And he says, no one's hired us. And he says, well, go out to my vineyard. Six o'clock comes. The day's over. He's an honest employee. What, what a dishonest employee, employer would do is he'd say, come back Tuesday. I'll pay you Tuesday. But he's honest. He says, we agreed. I'm going to pay you cash. You're a day laborer. I'm going to pay you cash here at the end of the day. That's the required by the law. So he says, line them up. And this is a place where we, as, as, um, stewards should be thinking, I need to perk up because God is the person who is represented by the, by the, um, uh, owner of the vineyard in this parable. And he's talking to his steward. So I really need to pay attention to what happens here in this parable. And so what does he do? He says, he says, line them up. 
and then pay them. And the first got hired, each of them received the usual daily wage. We don't hear about them. My guess is what they did is they went home before he came to his senses. They said, all right, thanks, I'm out of here, bye. And they're gone. And the third, the three o'clock people, the noon, the nine o'clock people, they all get paid the same amount. But when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he said, I'm doing you no wrong. I've paid you. I've done what the law requires. I didn't stiff you. I didn't tell you, come back on Tuesday. I'll pay you then. I'm paying you cash, just like we agreed, paying you a full day's wage. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I choose to give to you, or as I as I agreed to give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? It's true. They they didn't they didn't bear the scorching heat of the day, but they've got kids and they've got a wife to feed, and I choose to feed them a day's wage, give them a day's wage that they can feed their families with, because I choose to be generous with what is mine. And he says, "Are you envious?" Because I'm generous. Of course we are. We know how we'd respond if this was us at work. We'd hate it. Because we don't want generosity. We want fairness. And God isn't fair. God is generous. Some of you know, I hope all of you know, um, for the last several months since the since the spring, I've been volunteering at the um, Alaska Food Bank's mobile food pantry uh, down here at the Nazarene Church and up in um, Turnigan. Um, and that's a good thing because um, it's a good thing for me as a person, but I think it's good for me as a pastor because oftentimes pastors wind up kind of stuck in a little bubble, you know, and all they ever see is church people. And so it's a good thing to just kind of block out some time on my calendar when I actually intentionally go out and rub elbows with people in our community who are not necessarily church people. So it's been a great experience for me in that way. But I think it's also been good for me as a person. Um, And uh, the last couple of uh, months or so, my daughter has been uh, joining me. Here she is. um, She's handing out frozen pizzas here. um, And uh, you can tell that this day it wasn't raining. Because when it's raining, what happens is the frozen pizzas stick together. And then you kind of have to pry them back apart so you can hand them out. So we don't like it when it rains on our frozen pizza, but that's Iris. One of the things about the food pantry, the mobile food pantry, is that they give out the kind of food you can't get at most food pantries. Most food pantries specialize in kind of shelf-stable uh, uh, dry goods, things like that. Um, and the, the mobile food pantry kind of takes uh, things that are nearing their expiration date, and in particular frozen things and greens, and um, makes them available to people who couldn't get them at a regular food pantry. So this next picture shows what happens. A lot of the green comes in food service bags. You get these great big bags full of whatever, and then one of the jobs you have to do is you have to break them down into smaller, you have to rebag them in smaller bags. So you spend a lot of time doing that. Um, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had basil, a great big food service quantities of basil, and oh, the parking lot just smelled wonderful. It was just just a glorious smell. But it's not always that nice. Sometimes what you're sorting through is potatoes, that have reached their sell-by date and then reached uh, a month after their sell-by date or whatever it is. And so your job is to sort through and find the ones that can still be eaten and throw out the others. So, you know, take this home, wash it off, and it's still a good potato, but it's 
The one next to it sure was not. So you do that, and a lot of the food is like that um, because that's why it's in the food pantry. But sometimes it's better. Uh, two weeks ago, there was a half a pallet of ice cream bars. <laughs> okay, so Ben and Jerry's um, Cherry Garcia ice cream bars. And I don't know why they were there. It's just kind of the, the nature of the beast is sometimes you get, get a chance to hand out something that's just really awesome. So um, however that works, I don't know all the food bank mechanics of how that works, but um, uh, it's always great when you can hand out something that's better than, you know, this isn't a bad potato. So um, so uh, the, the way that we've kind of worked things out is my daughter goes to a class um, at 5.30, so we're, we're there from 4.30 till 5.30, and what I do is I hang out in the back and I help, you know, uh, rearrange stuff, carry stuff out to uh, to people's cars and so forth. Um, and then at 5.30, when she leaves, she left her uh, her um, a frozen pizza section, and I took over from there. So uh, by, by 5.30, you're most of the way through the crowd. And uh, what happened two two weeks ago was, um, it was right about 6. We're at the very end of the line. Now, they get, a, they get a size, they get a count of how many people are in line, and then they try to divide the goods accordingly so that everybody gets some of everything. And it, it's mostly correct, but sometimes it's off because the quantities don't divide nicely or because people come in at the last minute. But I'm, I'm here now. I've taken over my daughter's spot and I'm focusing on pizzas. And uh, the reason is because I've got about, I don't know, three or four boxes of frozen pizzas I still need to get rid of. And there's only a few people left. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, you know, we've long since gone from two to, to three to four and we're kind of really uh, push this pizza. The system doesn't really reward you for shoving things backwards because the food is designed to kind of flow one way through the system. So you can, you know, we don't want to be wasteful, but at the same time, we don't want to cause trouble. So I'm really thinking, how can I get rid of my pizza today? How can I get rid of my pizza? And two kids come up alongside me, and I look over there, and it's like, where's the guy who was handing out ice cream? Oh, I guess he's done. I hadn't noticed. He's done with his ice cream. And these two kids are here. Somebody has broken open a box of ice cream and given these two kids ice cream, and they brought a third friend up, and they say, he wants ice cream too. And I'm looking, ice cream's gone. There is no ice cream. And I'm thinking, well, you probably don't want a frozen pizza. And while I'm kind of stunned and trying to think, well, how can I solve this problem, one of the people, one of the last people to get a box of ice cream, he rips his ice cream open, and hands the kid uh ice cream bar across the table. That's generosity. And that's the beauty of stewardship. What makes it easy to hand out piles and piles of frozen pizzas is that they're not mine. They're just something I've been entrusted to do something good with. So I do. And sometimes you get a chance to enable generosity because the person didn't have any ice cream. Now they've got a box with 12 ice cream bars in it. And they had a chance to be generous too. I don't know what the outcome of that story is. I, you know, I didn't find the mom and say sorry about ruining dinner. We don't always know the outcomes. We, we don't know the outcomes. I titled this message Cornelius. Because Cornelius is a great figure in, in the, the story of Christians. Unless you have a 100% Jewish pedigree, Cornelius is important to you. Because God used Cornelius to teach Peter something about what kind of church he wanted. 
God used Cornelius to tell Peter, I want the Jesus movement not just to be limited to Jews. I want it to be a worldwide movement that encompasses everyone. But we're so interested in that as as non-Jewish heritage people, as people from the, the Gentile tribes and nations. We're so eager to hear what happened with Peter, we jump over Cornelius. But if we read carefully the story of Cornelius, what we see is there's a reason that God picked him. We read in verse 2 of chapter 10 of Acts, it says, He was a devout man. That means he was not a Jew. He was somebody who admired the Jewish God but was not willing to become a Jew. He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. And one day he has a vision, and an angel tells him, Cornelius, he says, what is it? He says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Your almsgiving got you on God's radar, Cornelius. And see, you serve a generous God. And when your values line up with his, amazing things can happen. When you align your values with the values of a generous God, things happen. Cornelius, you're no longer a Gentile who's devout. You are now a full member of the family of the children of God. Cornelius, you've been giving alms to people, and now you're going to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Cornelius, because your values align with the values of a generous God, there's no telling where this will go. When we are generous, we are aligned with God's values. So, what's the application? Be generous. Share your ice cream bar. Share your frozen pizzas. Treat the things that God has given you the way God wants you to. He wants generosity to be easy. And stewardship actually makes it easy. Because it's really not my thing. It's something God gave me. God knows how hard it is to get rid of the things that we hang on to. So he says, stewardship is actually a way of helping you do what is right. So go out this week. Find ways to be generous. I know many of you are already generous. But think of yourself as a Cornelius. My generosity aligns with God's, and there's no telling. There's no telling what's going to happen to that little kid who got an ice cream bar. What is going to be their perspective on that church? on the people who handed out the food that day, how are they going to change the world? There's no telling what God will do with our generosity. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have given each of us more than we need. Sometimes we don't believe it. Sometimes we look at our checkbook and we don't know how it's going to work. But we know in our hearts that we have enough. We have enough time. We have enough possessions. We have enough ideas, enough influence. We have enough relationships that we can be generous. And so, Lord, I pray you would give us opportunities. You'd give us eyes to see the kid who's asking for ice cream. Help us to be part of what you're doing in the world as our values are conformed to yours. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.